Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Mark chapter 7 as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark. And as you're doing that, I want you to think about the family that you grew up in. Uh, If you are not out of high school, the family you're in now. Uh, And I want you to think about some spoken or unspoken motto that you grew up with. So your family of origin, your child, your teenager, the family you grew up in had a motto. It was either spoken or unspoken. Think about that for just a second. Now I want you to share whatever you're thinking about with your neighbor. So let's think about family of origin, uh, family traditions, mottos. I'm going to give you just like 30 seconds. Ready, go. All right. That's fun, huh? Maybe a little scary. Maybe a little scary to think about that. Uh, My family, if you don't straighten it up, your dad's going to take care of this when he gets home. Anybody have that one? Right? Uh, don't, Don't let him see you sweat. Right? Pull up your bootstraps. Pull up your bootstraps. Uh, When you thought about a family motto, raise your hand if that family tradition or motto that you thought of and shared was, you would say positive. Okay, a few of you. How many of you would say, that's actually kind of a negative thing, right? Yep. So the reality of this conversation is uh, the power of traditions, the power of mottos, and some are positive and some are negative. When we uh, spend time with couples who are engaged, and we're walking through premarital counseling, preparing them for their marriage. One of the things that we talk about is family of origin and the impact of family of origin. And if, if you're not careful, if you're not uh, thinking about, if you're not intentional about thinking about mottos and traditions, uh, for good or for bad, they will come into the marriage. And so we spend time talking about those things to help couples identify what are the values and mottos that I think are really meaningful and helpful and healthy, and I want to bring those in, but also what are some things that I picked up growing up that aren't healthy and good for me, and I want to sever a relationship with those things, because the reality is that traditions, traditions can easily become rules. Traditions can become rules, and those rules can become a problem. Traditions can become rules, and those rules can become a problem. That is, that is what is happening in Mark chapter 7. Traditions, human traditions, and human rules have become a heavy yoke of legalism and law on uh, people, and there are people that are now enforcing those traditions and rules because that is the way of legalism. You are accepted here when you do it our Way And Jesus, as you'll see, is going to be very direct and very clear in his confrontation against legalism in our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 7, um, and I'm just going to begin reading this uh, with you. I'll, I'll have the uh, passages uh, on the slide. We'll kind of work through the passage uh, as we go along, and then I'll make some summary points uh, at the end of our time together. So Mark 7, verse 1, the Pharisees, who were the human tradition, rule keeper, people, leaders from Jerusalem, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they traveled up to the Sea of Galilee area where Jesus had been ministering. And so they traveled north 70 miles or so from Jerusalem, and they gather around Jesus 
And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Parentheses, verse 3, the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Now, when I was a little kid and we would go to my ma and pa's house, I had my ma and pa was like two houses down, which is like a quarter mile away when you live out in the country like I did. And my granny and papa lived a mile the other way. We all lived on the same street. My friends called it Swain Lane. It was actually called Stewart's Ferry Pike. But anyway, I'm off of my notes now. But we would be at my ma and pa's house. And there's lots of cousins and we would be outside playing and my ma would come out on the back deck and she would ring the dinner bell. And she would ding, 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 ding. And we would all come running in. And before we could eat, she would always say, everyone wash your hands before dinner. But actually she said supper because when you grow up in the South, it's supper, it's not dinner. If that's confusing to you, let's have coffee. I'll explain it all to you another time. But this, this here is not about hygiene. For my mind, it was about hygiene. Let's just wash our hands from being outside before we eat. But this, this is not an example of hygiene. This is about ceremonial washing. This is about conforming to traditions. You must do this the way we do this. Today, it would be like uh, pastors or church leaders uh, telling you that before you can come into a worship service that you must wash your hands like surgeons do before surgery. And we would have a basin out there and we would all roll up our, and we would all come in and then we would all be ready to worship because our hands would already be up in the air. It's kind of a good idea. We should try that sometime. Thank you. Thank you. They laughed, they laughed more at that in the first service, Paul. <laughs> We're creating, we're creating traditions and rules and we're putting on it on you to do it so that you can feel acceptance here with us. That's the point. This is how we do it. And if you want to be with us, you must do it this way. And there's a word that describes this approach to religion and the word is legalism. Legalism. Jesus. In this confrontation, the Pharisees continue. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? I think it would have sounded maybe a bit more arrogant than it sounded as I just read it. I think it would have said, oh, really? Why don't your disciples do the tradition of the elders? Right, the arrogance and the judgment of that, right, in that moment. They were just, they were, they were cocky. They were looking down upon Jesus and his disciples for not doing it their way. They've come up to the Sea of Galilee and they have this strategy to undermine Jesus and his teaching and their strategy is their rules, their traditions, their legalism. And they're telling Jesus, look, you, you are a teacher you should know better than this. Why do you allow your disciples to break the tradition of the elders? Jesus replies pointedly 
clearly direct, confrontational. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, about you hypocrites. And he quotes a passage out of Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah was exactly right. This, he, he spoke about this and he's talking about you. You guys are hypocrites. Here's what he said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They actually, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Verse eight, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You know what a hypocrite is. But a hypocrite is somebody that says one thing and then they do something totally different than what they say. And what Jesus is calling them a hypocrite for is they're claiming a love for God. They're claiming that they follow God, but, but they create all these human rules and expectations that aren't of God. And so he clearly and pointedly and with confrontation, I believe, calls them a hypocrite. You aren't teaching about God with your rules and your regulations around washing and, clean, and cleanliness. You are teaching your own human rules and traditions and expectations. You are frauds. You are hypocrites. I think, I think we've got to feel the weight of what's happening in this scene. It is law, it is traditions, it is rules, it is expectations. Jesus coming against that, his way, the way of Jesus, the way of grace, the way of the kingdom is coming against, clearly coming against their legalism. He continues in verse nine, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, he's gonna engage with them about one of the 10 commandments. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. By the way, aren't you glad we live in the new covenant and not in the old covenant? But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother, he's talking about money, he's talking about provision, what might have been used to help, to honor, to bless, is Corbin. Corbin is, uh, it just means devoted to God. It's a gift, it's an offering. And they were using something good. They were using uh, the understanding of Corbin, this devoted to God, an offering to God, but they were using it in a, in, a, in a human traditional way to go, oh, well, I don't have to use this provision to actually honor and help my mother and father because it's devoted to God, right? You see the hypocrisy in that that Jesus is pointing out. Verse 12, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. I could go on. Here's just one example of your hypocrisy. Here's just one example of human rules and traditions that are nullifying the actual word of God. And I, I, I could share more examples than this. What's, what is Jesus saying here? You are rewriting God's word to accommodate your own selfishness. 
Because to honor your father and mother in that day simply meant when they were older and they couldn't provide for themselves, to honor your father and mother as a child was to provide for them, to help them in tangible ways. And they're saying, I can't do that because the money I have has been devoted to God. The hypocrisy of it all is what Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, and you're really good at this. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You nullify the word of God and you do this a lot. And it's just one example. And then because there's a clear confrontation between legalism and the way of Jesus, people are gathering. People are gathering, right? It's just, it would, it's what would happen in King Super. Somebody is like having a confrontation out in the, right outside the door. People would like in today's society, we'd gather around and everybody would get their phone out and start videoing the confrontation. But a, a crowd is gathering. And so Jesus turns from the Pharisees and he turns to all the people that are gathering around to teach them what is really true. And he says this to the crowd gathered. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone. And understand this. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person. It is what, it's matters of the heart. It's what comes out of a person that defiles him. It's what we believe. It's what's in our heart that actually drives our behavior. And so if you want to understand this, it's the reality. It's not about what's coming in that defiles us. what comes out. It's matters of the heart. Life in God isn't rules about eating and washing. It's about matters of the heart. The focus of the Pharisees is on an outside-in, shame-based, guilt-toxicity-based behavior modification reality of you must do it the way we do it according to our traditions in order for you to be on the inside with us. And Jesus is saying that is not, that is not the truth. That is not the truth. He leaves the crowd after this brief parable and he goes away with his disciples. He had left the crowd and he enters the house, verse 17, and his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus is saying, are you so dull? I think it's like this reality. It's like, come on, guys, really? Okay, are you, are you still not understanding what I'm saying? Are you so dull? Let me explain it to you again with honestly and some kind of some real talk. This is kind of some bro talk right now. He's got the disciples that are confused. He's gonna give them a little bro talk here and you're gonna see what I'm talking about here in just a second. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Yes, that's in the Bible, right? And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, which I love because I love some bacon. Anybody else? I mean, seriously, hallelujah for the new covenant. Come on, guys, you gotta you got get this. What I'm saying to you is this. The Pharisees are so focused on ceremonial washing and what you can eat and what you can't eat. Guys, that stuff, those rules, those, that doesn't even touch the heart. That stuff is, is disconnected. It goes into the stomach and then it goes somewhere else. It's not even, it's not even the reality of what I wanna teach you. And he went on. And he says to the disciples, 
What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within the heart, it is from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. And then he lists 12 realities of what comes out of a heart that's disconnected from God. From out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus is saying here, I believe that he's saying this. The message of the gospel isn't outside in transformation. It's not behavior modification. It's not adherence to human rules and human traditions. It's not about legalism. The message of the gospel is inside out transformation. The message of the gospel is about heart transformation. And Jesus has come to talk about the heart because it's our hearts that need changing. It's not our behavior that needs changing. It's our hearts that need changing. And when your heart changes, your behavior will change. But if your behavior changes and your heart doesn't change, it's short-lived. And it's not the way of God. It's the way of legalism. Verse 21, this list uh, of 12 sins that come from a heart that is not connected with God, that's, it's serious. And I can't say it any other way. It's, it's serious what Jesus is saying here. And it's clear that he's saying that these things come from a heart that is not connected with the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Sexual immorality the word, the Greek word there is pernea. Uh, lots of translations translate the word pernea, sexual immorality or fornication. It's a very general term and it simply means this, any sexual behavior that is outside the context of a covenant marriage. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, which could also be translated wickedness, deceit, lewdness, which is debauchery, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, foolishness, recklessness. Clearly, clearly, Jesus is saying that any and all of these behaviors are not of God. And they come from a place, a heart that's disconnected from God. And it's not a hierarchical list, by the way. It's not a hierarchical list. It's, it's an example of 12 things that Jesus is saying to his disciples. And I would say this to myself. And I would encourage you to consider this as well. If I can't or you can't find yourself somewhere in that list of 12, I would say read it again. And if you can't find yourself somewhere in that list on the second round, read it a third time and humble yourself to the place to go, I need God to do some work in my heart. 
All of us, all of us need heart transformation. Amen? The ground is very level at the foot of the cross. We are all in need of a savior. And we have one, raise a hallelujah. His name is Jesus and he's the God of all grace and comfort and power and compassion. And we worship him here and we follow him here and he transforms our lives. It's by his grace alone that we are saved and transformed, not by our own abilities to adhere to human rules and tradition and legalism. Jesus did not come to promote legalism and behavior modification. He came to preach against it. Clearly, clearly. To give people new hearts. It's matters of the heart. It's heart transformation. And the big question of this passage, of these 23 verses, is this. The big question is, what does it mean in our lives? What does it mean to be clean? What does it mean to be cleansed? That's the big question of the passage. And the Pharisees answer it this way. Well, it means legalism. You're on the outside. And if you wanna be on the inside, then you need to follow our rules like ceremonial washing. You need to do it our way. You are accepted when you do these things. And Jesus answers it this way. No, 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 no. It's not about outside-in transformation. It's about a heart transplant. It's about heart transformation. Verse six, their hearts are far from me. Verse 19, it doesn't go into their heart. Verse 21, it is out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come and evil thoughts give birth to actions that are disconnected from the way of God. Remember, this, this context here is first century Judaism and legalism was rampant. We are far removed from first century legalistic Judaism. But I would, I would say to you for your consideration, I believe that legalism in the church is still alive and well. Would you say so? I believe it is alive and well. And there's so many examples of human rules and human traditions that carry expectation and judgment that comes into the new covenant church of Jesus. We could spend a lot of time talking about churches that you grew up in or have been a part of and how that is true in your life. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna offer you a couple of examples this morning of how easy it is for us as followers of Jesus to come under human expectation and traditions that become rules and standards of belonging. And I may, I may step on some toes here. Um, I guess I'm comfortable with that because it's right here in my notes. Uh, I see in this passage that Jesus was pretty comfortable coming up against a legalistic way of thinking. So I'm just gonna follow Jesus here, I guess, today in my freedom. Church membership. Church membership. You go through a series of steps to become a member of a church, perhaps even signing a document at the end around what a member of this church is gonna do. Perhaps even slice your hand and sign it in blood. Perhaps, I don't know. In some contexts, you have tithing. In some contexts, you have being, being on a service team. In some contexts, you have something like baptism on there. You have to be baptized to be a member of this local church. I'm not saying that about this church, I'm just saying. 
So someone, if we think about this for a second, someone can be a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. They are a, they are a part of the bride of Christ. They are a member of the church, capital T, capital C. You with me? The global church of Jesus. They are a member of the church. And how are they a member of the church? Well, Paul said it this way in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And a few verses down, it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You're a follower of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, when you, when you believe, when you believe in Jesus, the simplicity of believing in Jesus, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter one, okay? But to have in a membership document that you must be baptized adds, a, adds something more than Jesus. Now, let me just say this clearly. Do we believe baptism is meaningful? Yes. Yes. Do we support believers being baptized? Of course, and we celebrate it here if you have ever been here on a baptism Sunday. It's wonderful and beautiful and important, and we support it and we encourage it. But we're not going to make it a rule for belonging here. By the way, we don't even do membership here. We talk about partnership. We have a vision that God's given us. We have a mission that God's given us and we invite you to partner with us in that. We're not gonna, there's no documents to sign. We simply invite you to partner with us and go where God is calling us to go. Number two, church dress. Anyone, anyone, anyone out there? Church dress. I grew up in the South. I grew up in the South. I used to battle with my mom on church turtlenecks. Mom, if you're listening to this online, I have no resentment toward you whatsoever. <laughs> but we used to go to battle. I didn't want to wear a turtleneck. I hate turtlenecks. I still hate turtlenecks. But she wanted me to wear a turtleneck, and we would have these battles. There's so much tradition, especially in the South, around church dress. I've, I think I shared this story here before. Uh, I was on staff at a church back in the South, and uh, those of us that had the privilege and honor to stand up and teach the way I'm teaching now, none of us wore suits and ties. Shocker to you, I'm sure. But there was a gentleman in the church who grew up in a context, a tradition that the preachers preached in ties, and he pressed us on it. And we engaged the conversation, but we're like, we're that's, that's, that's a tradition that you grew up in. We're, I'm still gonna preach with an untucked shirt on most of the time. And I'm sorry that that's hard for you. He left the church over it. True story. Is dressing up bad? No, listen, dress and look as fly and as dope as you wanna, as you wanna look like on Sunday. Go for it. It's wonderful, great, right? Have your style, dress up, do that thing. The bad thing is making it a rule or expectation or a tradition to be accepted here. Are you with me? This is how things like this creep in. Let me say this clearly with us this morning. God, God help us understand and see, which is what Jesus said in the passage. God help us understand so that we never fall under legalism here. 
May we never create human expectations and traditions that keep people on the outside. Because any human attempt at being clean misses the heart of God. Any legalistic mindset, Jesus said it this way, any legalistic mindset doesn't even touch your heart. As soon as you go for outside in cleaning, it bypasses the heart, goes into the stomach and goes right back out. And if you're thinking, did, that, did Jesus really say that in verse 19? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Let's read it again, just, just for fun, because it's right in the Bible. Verse 19, for it does not go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Let's do a deep dive in the Greek, shall we? Yes, let's do it. Here's the literal Greek translation. It goes out into the latrine. For real. You can test me on that. In other words, Jesus is saying, your attempts at legalism, your attempts at cleaning yourself is, and he's talking to just his bros. He's talking to his bros, like it's just the disciples right here. It's just a bunch of stuff. Real talk. Real talk, fellas. Doesn't even touch your heart. Only Jesus and his grace makes a person clean, not ceremonial washing. Only Jesus and his grace empowers lives to overcome sin in our life, not human rules and tradition and legalism and white knuckling and gritting your teeth and behavior modification by fear and guilt tactics. Jesus is seeking our hearts because that is where the real transformation happens. If you want real transformation, if you've been lugging something along for a long time, if you have a struggle in your life that you have not been able to get rid of or overcome, uh, let, me, let me encourage you with some testimonies that I hear from people. Ask people who have experienced real radical change, real radical life transformation change, and they'll tell you the change only happens when it starts in your heart and moves out from there. When the heart changes, your life changes. It's a process, discipleship is a process, but it has to begin on the inside and move out from there. It's what Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her husbands in the room. Let's just, let's just breathe that in for a second. We need Jesus, husbands, we need Jesus. And then he describes, Paul describes what Jesus has done for his bride to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. He's talking about us right now. A radiant church without stain or wrinkle or other, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Here's the gospel message. You can't do the washing. Jesus does the washing by his word, by his truth that sets us free. The work of Jesus is a new heart. Second Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. Don't let legalism tell you what is right and wrong. Don't let culture tell you 
the way of life, what is right and wrong. Allow the washing of the word to set you free and then empower your life transformation from there. Let's go rapid fire. John 8, 32, Jesus. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A few verses down, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's over and over. It's over and over and over and over again. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm, therefore, in the gospel of grace. Stand against legalism. Stand firm in your identity in Christ. Stand firm in the mercy and the grace and the unconditional love of God. Stand firm and don't let human rules and traditions and legalism and religion and culture get you out of your being rooted and grounded in the love of God and the grace of God in Jesus. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In the context of Galatians 5 is the slavery of old covenant mosaic law legalism. I want to call us to be a people who understands who we are in grace. I want to call us to be countercultural in a perverse culture. Be who you are in Christ. Grace saves you and then empowers the life change. From there, the 12 things that Jesus mentions in verse 21, those realities, that is not who we are in Christ. Those things, those things are destruct, they're destructive to God's people, they're destructive to community, it's destructive to love and honor, it's destructive to relationships, and it's destructive to your own mind and bodies. God has freed you and me, us. God has freed us from self. He has freed us from legalism. He has freed us of having to do it ourselves. He saves us and he empowers us to live a godly life. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power. We've been talking a lot the last two weeks on the compassion of God and the power of God in Mark chapter 6. His divine power, the divine power of grace has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We desire, we hope, we pray, we empower, we teach to experience, for you to know and experience the fullness of what Jesus came and died to give us. We have been freed from sin and enslavement to sin and enslavement to self and we've been freed to righteousness and hope and godliness. This, this, is, this is who you are in Jesus. This is your spoken, declared identity. You are no longer your old sinful nature. Paul says this in Romans chapter six. You're not enslaved to sin. You are powerful to overcome. You have been given everything you need to overcome. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans chapter eight, guess what? You have it. You're not powerless. You're powerful in Jesus to overcome. You're not a slave to sin, Paul says in Romans six. You're actually a slave to righteousness. And when we believe 
And when we focus on matters of the heart, we believe rightly about grace, about mercy, about love, about empowerment. Our life changes. It's not outside in, it's inside out. You are new in grace, you are free. In grace, you are holy. You are set apart. In grace, you are empowered to overcome sin and live free in godliness. I, I just, I, this is so important. This is so life-giving to me, to us in this community. And I pray that we would allow the anointing of this passage, God's very word to us to be life-giving, healing, healing and empowering in our lives, to be who we are in Christ, to overcome and to be a part of the movement of grace here in this church and in our community. Let's pray together. Lord, we see and understand, I pray we understand, the passion of Jesus coming against legalism in this, in this narrative in Mark 7. Lord, it is about matters of the heart. And so I pray, Jesus, that your presence, your mercy, your grace, your love, the identity that we have in you, that it would touch our hearts in fresh ways and that you would transform us in a fresh new way and help us overcome things in our life that are disconnected from the way of Jesus, not because of legalism, but because of freedom hope and joy and peace and love purpose and blessing Lord we want to believe in the way and live in the way of Jesus whom we call Lord and Savior to believe you and to follow you Lord empower us I pray by your spirit by your grace 